wouldn't stop and think about them joined here for this week's um, episode of Soundtrack to My Life by an old friend of mine, Michael Donlan. How are you, Michael? How are you, Carol? Well, it's absolutely great to finally get you into the studio because I saw you avoiding me for quite a while over the last year now or so. And then you said you'd think about it and... And you did. So I have you here now. You have me now. Yeah, you have Don't me. tell Jerry. Okay. The commute, <laughs> the commute wasn't too far, was it? <laughs> no, not too bad. Okay. So Michael Donnan from Whitegate. This is the, the time that you choose. The songs and the piece of music that that mean a lot to you. They're not, they're not always necessarily your most favourite pieces, but they're, but they're songs that kind of really resonate for you in some way. What's your first choice? My first choice is um, Earl Guthrie. The city of New Orleans. And why? Well, back in the 80s, most people around Scarif, like at Mount Shannon, we had a great affinity towards Arlo Guthrie and Woody Guthrie, but we loved Arlo Guthrie, his song called Alice's Restaurant, 18 minutes long, and we all loved it. So we always thought, wouldn't it be great to see him live in concert? And then, lo and behold, in 1987, I think, he was coming to Shin Roan Community Hall down in Tipperary. And we thought, let's do it, let's go see him. But we had no tickets. So we wondered what we were going to do. So on the Wednesday before the concert, Paul McDermott and myself decided we'd go down to Shinroan to see if we get in to the concert. And we pulled up outside the community hall and a lovely man came out called Padder Kavanagh. i never forget his name. And Paul then said, how are you, Padder? We are from Mega Mix magazine in Dublin and we have no tickets <laughs> to get in to Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> And he said, let's sold out. Is there anything you can do, says Paul, for us? Do you know? We'll give now, you a just, plug. Just for listeners that could be tuning in from parts of the world that they mightn't be quite familiar with what Shinrone was like. As a, like describe Shinrone. I mean, Arlo got to come into Shinrone. This isn't the concert hall. Like, well, you know. Gorgini Badaik. Speaking, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the Shinrone, concert hall. Shinrone in County Offaly. Shinrone in County Offaly, yeah. yeah. So. So he said, come back on the Friday night and I can see what I can do for you. So we went home thinking, you never know, we'll chance it. We're after pulling a stunt. So then we needed a photographer to come with us. So we roped in Jean Collaron <laughs> from Scarif. And on the Friday evening, we gave her a Hennymex 35 camera. <laughs> and we headed off to Shinroan to try and get in to see Ella Guthrie. The, the Megamix team, is it? The Megamix team from yes. Dublin. And we, put, we were very nervous going down now because we knew it was kind of illegal to be impersonating press. So we pulled up and lo and behold, Pedder Kevin came out to us and said, how are you, lad? You're welcome. And there was guards all over the place and guards at the door. And we walked in and he says, lads, these are the people I was telling you about. And we thought, oh no, the game is up. But it wasn't up. We were ushered up to the VIP area of the Shinroan Community Hall, wined and dined for the night. And every so often, Pedder would come back and say, are you enjoying 
your concert we said just mighty pedder this is great <laughs> and how many copies of the magazine would you like oh he said five or six big grand I'll give some to the family we said no problem pedder so Arla Guthrie we got to see Arla Guthrie we got to see him sing Alice's Restaurant wow. and we thought then which we like leaving the match early we thought while we got away with it we'd leave early before the last song and just before the last song pedder comes up to us he says lads he says would you like to meet Bono I know. Ah, yes. So we didn't talk differently the game was up because Bonnie would know there isn't a Mega Mix magazine in Dublin. <laughs> and we said, we would, why wouldn't we like to meet him, Pedder? <laughs> we love you too. <laughs> so Pedder said, wait a minute, she said. And he went off. And if he went off, we skedaddled down the steps of Shinaroan Community <laughs> Hall into the car. And we didn't relax. We got back to the old cod chipper and scarf that <laughs> night for a batter sausage and a few curry chips. But we got away with it. We got away with that it. That is a hell of a story. And actually, I, I obviously wasn't there because obviously I was in the old cod waiting for you to come back. <laughs> yeah, you were, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just... I just fascinated the, the idea that you actually you actually did pull it off because it well, was Paul McDermott was the ringleader now. And Jean, your camera woman, how, how was she, did she did she take some film of she it? She took photographs through okay. a perspic glass that the flash flashed back in her. So <laughs> I'm sure that one photograph came out, but it looked the part of the night. I think it did anyway. And what was the concert like? Brilliant. Was it? Brilliant concert. I yeah. Wanted, I'd yeah. Always wanted to see him. Yeah. Did yeah. he play for long? Oh, he was there for two hours, I'd say. Was he? He was, yeah. Oh, well. It was a great night. Anyway, that's a great kickoff story. And we're going to hear from Arlo Guthrie now, the city of New Orleans. And that was The City of New Orleans by Arlo Guthrie. Um, and that was my guest, Michael Donlan's first choice of the soundtrack to his life. And he's just told us a great story. And, you know, his, his, his early career was obviously involved in rock journalism. And uh, so why did you pick your second choice? The second song is Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. And every time I hear that song, it brings me back to 1990, where 24 of us left Clare to go working in Holland, picking flowers and packing flowers. We were the first to go out from East Clare area. A man by the name of Nick Nicholson started a, a company up in Tulla, and he brought 24 of us out to Holland about March 1990. So we left by bus from Innes. It's a long way out, and we arrived in a place called the Hook of Holland. It's about an hour south of Amsterdam. And we got settled in there and straight into work Monday morning, 12-hour shifts, packing flowers on conveyor belts, cutting flowers into bags. And it was... Hard work? Monotonous work is what it was, you know? Monotonous work. Yeah. But it didn't go well the first few weeks. We were... 24 of us were there, but it was also about 24 Turkish young men. And there was a major clash of cultures. Major clash. 
and they didn't want us there. And it was we, we landed Jordan Ramadan. So while we were scoffing 40 ham sandwiches <laughs> in the canteen every day, they were looking at us, not eating. And then they started threatening us. I suppose it's our first introduction to racism against us. Threatening us with knives in, in, in the in the yard and in the factory. And it didn't go well for a few weeks. But it came to a head eventually. It had to stop. But I remember the first few weeks thinking, geez, I want, you want to go home out of here like that. Were you frightened? You would be. They were, they'd, they'd put knives up to you and little, small little knives we had to cut the stems of the flowers, you yeah, know. But yeah. they, just, they just couldn't. Yeah. They didn't get, I don't know, we run more money maybe as well. It just was bad timing. Yeah. But it all came down for a finish. And um, thank God the few of us are moved to a different factory. Yeah. In another part of Holland, and it was way more nicer, and there wasn't that 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 kind of kind tension, of tension yeah. there, you know. Yeah. But um, were you all living in? We the were all same living place? overhead, overhead in a Christian centre. Yeah. It was a beautiful little town and a beach and all there. It's a beautiful town now. I was meant to go back, but didn't go back. It was say, thirty years ago now. But um, no, and we got like when we were off of a Saturday, and we got to travel around Holland. And I remember our first night in Amsterdam. Of a Saturday evening, young lad, 17, 18, and you get off the train and into Dam Square and you realise that this is different. There was a seediness to it. It definitely wasn't hinges of a Saturday night, yeah. you know. And we didn't know where we were going, so we just followed the Japanese tourists down to the Red Light District. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they were. I mean, I think people need to know the Red Light District in Amsterdam is a tourist area. It's not yeah. all seediness and sex, well, it is. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, we, but tourists go there. Tourists go there as well, like. And yeah. I mean, it was... We were gobsmacked to be in this yeah. place, do you know? And the the sex workers knocking on the window calling you in like and said, Jesus, yeah. we were running down the street away from them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but um, of course we were. <laughs> we were a bit young. But it was an experience that night in Amsterdam. I'll never forget it. And funny, I went back 20 years later and I and I and well, one thing I noticed, the sex worker had changed. When we were there in 1990, it was white Western European women and the odd Asian and 20 years later it was more Eastern European African so yes. society changes with the sex worker yes it's somebody she was studying it's it not, sometimes not something I've thought of before but, but it, yeah, well, yeah. I, I imagine yeah. it does yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. does yeah yeah of course but um we had a great time in Holland and made some great friends um, how long were you there for Michael we were there for two to three months it was, it was a busy season we went for Valentine's Day yeah very busy. Oh, and, course, the yeah. and the Queen's birthday yeah and three from here went Martin White from Wicked and God be good to a great friend of mine Alan O'Shaughnessy from Tom Gray and he went as well and um, so we had a great time but the factory that we went to every morning at the second factory every morning at a minute past six the Rolling Stones painted black come on and it put you in a great mood for the for the, for the morning for the work it, was, it was it was being played on television in, in, in Holland for an insurance ad or a car ad oh, so then every morning he was played at a minute past six in this other fact in this factory, like so, it's just, just great. Get you going for, get the, you day. Going for the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a great experience. We were in Den Haag as well, and you yeah. know, and just for those three months, it was, it was, it was a great experience. And um, the, not having the language, with the language is very difficult. Languages did, did, did it matter? You learn a few words, but they're great yeah. English. The Dutch yeah. are great English. Yeah, yeah. they're nice people. The Dutch, yeah. you know, they aren't great. Well, that was. And was that your we first? Were, was we that your first travel away yeah, from yeah. home? Yeah, we were living overhead a pub, a bar yeah. as well in the Christian Centre, so yeah. that helped. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like one long holiday, but I'm sure it was hard work too. Anyway, you kick it, I'm thinking of you kicking off your days in the uh, in, at work and listening to Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. We'll, we'll spin that now.
show was painted black by the Rolling Stones. And we were just talking with Michael about his, his time out in Holland. And he's just told me a very funny story off air as well about uh, what happened on the beach there one day. Tell us about the beach. Well, our first day we went down to the beach and we walked on the pathway and we were doing the way we go left or right. But when we looked over right, it was a nudist beach. <laughs> so we kind of decided, <laughs> no, we go left for today anyway. <laughs> because everyone on, the, everyone on the nudist beach was in their 60s and 70s. It didn't look, it wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't no. a pretty sight. It wasn't um, Rio de Janeiro, that beach in Rio de Janeiro. You know. And something, something rolled up on the beach sometime. Oh, a bomb rolled up on the beach one day and um, the whole town had to be shut down and you couldn't go anywhere because it's from World War II. They, they had to detonate yeah, it or see was yeah. alive, yeah. Fun times, fun, fun times, times in in, uh, in the, the Hook of Holland. Now, your next choice is very classical in comparison to the last two, really. Yeah, the next choice is uh, Mary O'Hara, Pierre Jesu. Um, myself, Desmond Hassett, Johnny O'Brien and Liam Kyle were standing in the garden of Gethsemane one day underneath the olive trees. And Hold we, on. The Garden of Gethsemane... Somebody is where? In Jerusalem. Really? Mm. So we were standing there one day under the olive trees. A beautiful day. We had just done a tour of Jerusalem. The Holy Church of the Sepulchre, uh, where the Last Supper took place. All the usual paraphernalia, where Jesus put his hand into stone and all that, you know. And we were getting a bit weary. It was all a bit kissed to blarney stone stuff at this stage, we yeah. thought, do you know. But when we, when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane and into the church, there was a a feeling in it. I can't explain it. Desmond has to turn to us under the trees and said, I feel something here, lads. And we all looked at each other and said, you know what, you're right. It's the first place we have been that we felt they a bit of spiritual, religion. Spiritual? Spiritual. Mm. That this could actually be the place where Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek and betrayed him. It felt that it could be the place. Really? Hmm. And so I... I when you were in in Jerusalem, sorry, was it a bigger a bigger tour of the Holy Land that you were in? No, or? this is where it gets very interesting. Michael O'Brien, Johnny's brother, lived in Israel, and he invited us out. So we said we'd go on our own bet, okay? So I went into Ennis to check the price of flights, and the flights were a thousand each to fly British Airways direct to Tel Aviv. So we couldn't afford it. So Mike got on to a guy he knew in America and he booked us through his American credit card. We couldn't book ourselves through with Czech Air from Prague to Tel Aviv. So we had to fly to Stansted Ryanair and then go Czech Air, Stansted, Prague, Prague, Tel Aviv. So we went on our own bed. Now it wasn't safe at the time. There was a lot of suicide bombings going on at the time. And um, we were nervous enough going and our parents were nervous going because every day on the television you see... What year was it, Michael? 2004, I think. Mm. So we headed off, and in Prague, then we were we were last to get on the plane. They held us back in Prague, and there was this, this big burly guy with his long trench coat kind of looking at us for about a 20 minutes, like, and they said, there's a problem with Mr. Hess's bag or something. So we kept looking at this guy. We didn't know what was wrong with him at all, you know. So we got on the plane, and it was all Orthodox Jews on the plane. We were the only <laughs> poor lads from the west of Ireland going off to Israel. And when we arrived in Tel Aviv in Ben-Gurion Airport, we were stopped on the Tarmacadam by security. And the first question to ask is, why didn't you fly British Airways? And Johnny O'Brien said, well, the Johnny, it was cheaper. <laughs> Come mm. this way. And it's only years later we realised that we were being watched by Israeli counter-terrorism from Prague on. Because 
we didn't book the flight. It was booked through somebody in America. Yeah. And it, it wasn't normal for four guys to head off to Israel yeah. for a week. So they definitely were watching us all the way. And that's why our bags were stopped in, in Prague as well, getting on, you know. Oh. But the security going into Israel at the time was serious, you yes, know. Yeah. But it wouldn't have taken the smartest, <laughs> the smartest guy in counterintelligence to figure out where we were going for the week <laughs> when we arrived. And they probably were, had us under surveillance for a few days and, until they realised that we were in the Irish pub <laughs> every night, Molly Blooms, just around the corner. Well, you know, when you begin a story with... When we were standing in the garden of Gethsemane, I have to say I was a little taken back. So I thought it was probably, possibly the name of a bar or the name of a, I wasn't actually thinking no. the real garden of Gethsemane. So why did you pick, the, how does this song well, tie into the well, story? We travelled all around Israel at the time. And one of the most amazing places we were was uh, Mount Mosada. Masada, Masada National Park. It's down at the edge of the Judean Desert looking out over the Dead Sea and King Herod built it. And there was a famous siege there 2,000 years ago where 960 um, rebels wouldn't give up to the Romans. They'd rather die. So the 960 of them committed suicide on top of this mountain. And we got to go down to that mountain and look at the aqueducts and how they lived and all that. Now that was an extraordinary day out. Mm. That was. And um, when you look back on it now, we were lucky to get out there because we had a place to stay and everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, it was a, it was a great holiday, and um, the song I picked really brings you back to that time in the Garden of Gethsemane with the boys and that eerie spiritual feeling we felt that day. Wow, that's that's an absolutely fabulous story. And why Mary O'Hara's version of it? I heard her, her life story one day on TG Four, and okay. I just thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just picked that. You know. Okay. Great, let's hear it now. Because that's a that's a beautiful version of Pierre Yesu with um, with Mary O'Hara, and you've got quite um you've got um, an eclectic taste in music. I think you know you you like a lot of different genres, don't you? I do. Yeah, music is music. Yeah, yeah. There's no if it's good, it's good. Yeah, and then when as you say, like you associate something, so for some reason that's that memory to do with being out in out in Israel. And God knows, you know, you really could. You, you, I think when you begin a story with, as I say, in the garden of Gethsemane, you're really you're onto, you're onto a winner with that story. So next one up then is you have chosen uh, "Long Journey Home" by Elvis Costello and the Attractions, and the Chieftains. Uh, sorry, by Elvis Costello and the Chieftains. Yes, sorry. Yes. Why did you choose this one? Well, there's a church out in Manhattan called St. Malachy's Roman Catholic Church. And it was built around 1920. And it's a very famous church. It's just off Broadway and 8th Avenue. And it's a very famous church because it became known as the Actors' Chapel. Because the entertainment district moved down there in the 20s and 30s. 
So all the actors and dancers and musicians would go into that church to light a candle before they were performing. And the local priest then got a special permission from the Archbishop of New York to have mass at 4am in the morning so that they could go to mass after the performance. And it's famous for lots of weddings, famous weddings. Rudolf Valentino's uh, funeral was held in it. Uh, John Crawford got married in it. Bob Hope and Gregory Peck used to frequent the church. And Tennessee Williams' funeral mass was on it as well. So one day I was at home in Waikas in 2002 and I got a phone call from New York from a friend of mine, one of the finest actors to ever left, Scarif. And he asked me, would I sing at his wedding? And I thought, I never sang at a wedding in my life. Where would I be going? I wouldn't be that great of a singer. But he said, you have to come out to my wedding in New York and sing. So that man was Owen Maloney, who was part of Scarlet Drama Group and all. So I said, it's a very appropriate <laughs> church that Owen had picked. And I, ta- yes, and I thought it was good enough for Tennessee Williams. It was good enough for myself and Maloney. <laughs> so I flew to New York and Johnny Bryan played piano and we, I sang that song at um, Owen's wedding. And I always remember that day. Shouldn't every time you get to sing in Broadway or off Broadway. Absolutely. Or- Look forward to hearing that. Long journey home. Long journey home. Michael, are you taking me to the Cork Jazz Festival for the next song? I am. And I'd love to take you down. <laughs> and hopefully when this COVID is finished, we'll, we'll, go, down. we'll go down and, and, yeah. and book into the Metropole and have a right good weekend. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the next song is the Blues Brothers, Mini de Mucha. And um, back in the day, I think before we started going out, people used to go to Rose to Lee back in the early 80s and mid-80s, you know, from East Clare. Yes. And then it moved to the Cock Jazz. So when I started going, going down to Cock Jazz in 1988, 9, 90, around there, uh, uh, there was about 24 or 5 of us in East Clare used to go to the Cock Jazz. And it was a brilliant That's weekend. the October Bank Holiday October weekend. October Bank Holiday really? weekend every year. Yeah. And you arrive Saturday and... Saturday night we didn't meet up that much because the people from Scarif were there, Mount Shannon Whitehead. But on the Sunday morning... You had to be in a Metropole Hotel at 12 o'clock. Or if you weren't in the Metropole Hotel, it was like, reminds me, if you weren't in Mourns in Woodford, it was Stephen's Day at 12 o'clock, you weren't in Woodford. And the Metropole Hotel in Cork of a Sunday morning was brilliant. So 23 or 4 of us in East Clare would lay into the crack and the jazz. Yes. And we started in the Metropole. And that time, closing time was between 2 and 4. So you were ficked out in at half 2. For the holy hour. For the holy hour. And you go for a bite to eat and then you go into Dan Lowry's next door. And you stay, stay there till about six in the evening. And then we crossed the bridge. And I remember one particular evening we were crossing the bridge. Myself and Polly and Tracy decided to sit astride the bridge and do hands, knees and bumpsy daisy. <laughs> it wasn't the as very... You, as you do. As you do, but it wasn't the very smart thing to do. Traffic passing by, but we could, we were having fun. We can look back at it now and laugh. <laughs> but Pat Scanlon used to go, um, Kenneth Dial, myself... Um, 
I said Pauline Tracy, the Omaras, was, was, were living down there at the time. Yeah. And with three great friends of mine, I always go, always go as well, is um, Jeremiah O'Brien, Jerry O'Hare, and remember Roger O'Sullivan yes, from the hotel? Yes, Tony, yeah, Tony yeah. Sullivan's Roger as yeah, well. Yeah. So we went for years and years, but one Sunday evening we're walking down Patrick Street and someone said, I think there's a pub down this alleyway. And down we went, it was real dark, and next thing we found the Mutton Lane Inn. And we spent every single Bank Holiday Sunday for 10 years or 12 years in the Mutton Lane Inn of a Sunday evening from 6 to closing. Yes. All East Clare. And then it drifted away then. People stopped going and stopped going and people got older. And, mm-hmm. and I would say one evening I was there on my own in the Mutton Lane Inn. <laughs> 25 people weren't there. Yes, and I was looking yeah. at the candle going, it's over now. You know, people had got married and had kids and they stopped having, having fun, Carol. Or weren't allowed out. They weren't allowed out. They weren't allowed to the cocktails anyway. Okay. So Minnie the Moocha is to... So this is for, any, for anybody that spent a Monday afternoon upstairs or a Sunday morning upstairs in the Metropolitan Hotel from East Clare. Lovely. Minnie the Moocha. Michael, we have a really interesting selection of music here, but I, I know have known you for a long time. I remember certainly many a year meeting you up at the Willie Clancy Week and up in Milltown, and I know that you love traditional Irish music. Where did that love for Irish music come from? Uh, my grandfather used to play the fiddle and was always hanging up in the wall at home. So when I was when I was three, four years of age, uh, people used to always come to the house playing music. And um, my father had a garage on the main street of Wycott and one of the panel beasters he had working for him was a man called Bertie McMahon from Woodford and Bertie's played the banjo. So my grandmother used to feed the, feed the workers in the garage and my mother used to feed the workers and sometimes then Bertie would come in uh, at lunchtime and he'd say to my grandfather Mick we would play a tune and this could be a Tuesday at one o'clock or three o'clock or whatever you know for a cup of tea and they'd start off playing reels and it was always music it was a man called Jerry Martin from Gorchini who used to come up playing as well and I only found out lately uh, through a book about her family history that there's been music in the house for over 80 years my great grandfather Pet Ganon and his wife, Mary Egan, that lived up the old Bog Road in Wycliffe, up beside the Half Bell, they played concertina and fiddle as well. And it was a great house for sessions. So it was an, an, an eight-year house for music and song and dance. And because my grandfather was a shoemaker and his father before him was a shoemaker, there was always people calling. Yes, yeah. You know? And did, you, did any of you play music then? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. You didn't well, try. If you, you, didn't, if you, if you didn't pick up the fiddle or no, anything. No, if you count the tin whistle in national school, the dawning of the day. But sure, every child in East Clare can like, play the dawning of the day on tin yeah, whistle. Yeah. But you like you, you certainly love traditional music, and your choice yeah. for this for, to represent that is um, yeah, just for all the sessions in the house and all the time, and, and there would have been live music as well, you know. And this year we've lost so many great musicians. Uh, Joe Burke yes. comes into mind mm-hmm. and then you had Paddy Maloney lately and of course next man Tony McMahon yeah. and this was recorded live I think in a pub in North Cork in 1985 
Yes. And it is Noel Hill and Tony McMahon, the humours of Castle Finn and the Temple House. Oh, fabulous. Lovely music there from Noel Hill and uh, and the late Tony McMahon. And uh, great choice there, Michael. Now, we're talking a little bit about as well um, the history of your family. And recently there's been a book written about it, which, uh, you know, you have there actually with you. Tell us a bit about this, Michael. And I think particularly about a great aunt of yours. It's very interesting. Yeah, um there was a cousin of mine up in Mayo who's after writing a book called Breaking the Mowers of Rifle. And it's the history of our family. And his own family on the other side and through the through Ireland's journey through nationhood and the rising war of independence World War One, World War Two. but he interviewed his grandmother in 1985 about what it was like to grow up in Whitegate from in the 1900s up to the 1920s and his grandmother would have been born and raised in my house in Whitegate so she's my grand aunt yes and flicking through the book the other night when I was up in Charlestown in Mayo I came back and I flicked through went straight to our history in the house and it's a kind of weird an eerie feeling when I was reading what she was saying about living in the house and I was in the house on my own reading as a kind yes. of my father had gone to bed and I was reading and going Jesus this happened here over 110 years ago well, what sort of things was she talking about she was explaining the Scarif Martyr's funeral herself and her friend they sneaked off to it and they walked to Mount Shannon and got a, a lift in an S and cart in the rest of the way and there was thousands at the funeral she says yes. and she was afraid of her life coming home then that she'd get a, a right given given out to her. Her father might say that, but her mother was a very stern woman. But when they came back, there was nothing said to him because there was such an, uh, a such feeling, such a tragedy in the area at the time. There was nothing said to him for, for, yeah. for um, sneaking after the funeral. And another story she told us one day in Waikid National School, uh, a biplane landed during World War One, just beside the school. So My all goodness. the classmates ran out and she got into the cockpit of the plane and in the, the headmaster, Master Davies, he used to live down in where McDermott's pub used to be. He used to live down there. Yeah. So he came out in and he was fascinated with the plane so he didn't give out to him either. <laughs> and every day during school in Lekai at that time, he'd bring down the map on the board and he'd explain how World War One was going and point out all the countries and what was happening. So, wow. But, but so can you imagine read, a, a plane landing? A plane landing in, in, in just outside Wycombe National School in 1915, 16, you know. Have you had many planes land there since? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I'm, I'm still getting through the book, like. But it's a fascinating history of of, of the family called Breaking the Mowers of Rifle. And if anybody wants to buy it, I think it's going to be on sale next spring. Chair wow. Madden might have it at the harbour. Wow, that looks very interesting. It is, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And you said there was something about her going away, going away. Oh yeah, she got married in Wycombe Church in 1926, and there was a going. Her sister uh, was a teacher in Laura, and there was a going away party in Laura for her, and her husband brought this woman out to dance at the house party and it was none other than Kishi Kernan. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's my Colin's ex-girlfriend because Felix Tronan was the quartermaster general of the Irish Free State Army and he was yes. at the party as well. Yeah. So we hung yeah. around with good people. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, she wasn't so much his ex-girlfriend as his as, as, as his, his wife, as his, his fiancée yeah, that yeah. was widow, bereaved, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. But they were still together when, when he died. That's yes, right, yeah. yeah. She married Felix Tronan afterwards, so yeah. her going away that's party, right, her yeah. going away party in Laura, that's who was at at that time. So. Yeah, oh my goodness me. Well, that yeah. sounds very interesting. Yeah. So the piece of music that kind of sums well, up this time for your memories. This, time. this was recorded in 1919 and I just thought it would be nice to play for the people that were around 1919. Yes. And it's called The Tumble Down Shack in Etlone by John McCormick. By John McCormick. Very fitting. Down the long road of white cobblestone, down the road that leads back to that tumble down shack, to that tumble down shack in a And that was the tumble down shack in Athlone from John McCormack. Not made today or yesterday, made in 19, recorded in 1919. And uh, it was the uh, last but one choice of of my guest, Michael Donlan. And Michael, that's really sums up the, the time, we, the times we've been talking of um, and, and your and your uh, your ancestors and uh, now as we come towards the end before you get to your last what why did you choose your last uh, song the last song I choose um, piece of music piece of music I choose I was in Scarif last spring and I met like all of us have been doing during COVID I met a man whose father had passed away and I hadn't met him in six months to sympathise with him and I just met him I said I hadn't met you because lockdown came again and I said I sympathise with you over your father and he says to me he said you know he said when all this is over we'll have forgotten who has died because we have nothing to relate to it we, we haven't been in morgues we hadn't been this is the early lockdowns so we, hadn't, we hadn't been meeting anyone we hadn't we nothing to relate to and even last week I had a friend of mine um, we went to Loch Ray shopping and she asked me in the car how is such and such keeping now and I said he died during COVID, I said, in the first lockdown. She never heard it. And this man lives 10 minutes from Wicket and she didn't hear it. So the next piece of music I picked was kind of, I suppose, a dedication or a, a remembrance for all the people who have died in our community during COVID. Just to say, you're not forgotten. We will remember you. Oh, that's, that, that's, that's a really nice thing to do. So this piece of music, uh, Michael, which you've chosen to remember so many people who have passed away during COVID, is called... It's Intermesso from Cavalleria Rossicana by Pietro Mascagni. It's been a real pleasure to have you here today, Michael. So uh, just before we play that last one, I would like to say, for the record, we're recording this December the 14th, 2021, two days before... um, a significant birthday for you and we would like on behalf of Scarif Bay to wish you all a very very happy 50th birthday 
you sure that's right? I think I allegedly. I think it's forty nine. Okay. Th- thanks a million, um, Michael. Thank you, Carol. Thank you.